0: Welcome to another episode of the Transfer News Central podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your host, and for once, I'm actually outshone by my guest. I'm only joking, that usually happens, but uh, one of the, well, I think the quintessential commentator for certainly my time and my lifetime, the voice of terrestrial television sport, the voice of FIFA, Mr. Clive Tilsley, I'm absolutely delighted to be on here with you. (laughs) I hope I can
1: live up to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, now, now it's your turn, Clive. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I mean, first of all, it's it's um, it's you know, we, uh, as I say, every time we do it, we do a podcast like this. It's unprecedented times at the moment. We've had stay at home. We we initially started as the stay at home uh, series of podcasts. That's now changed to the stay alert series of podcasts. Obviously, to stay stay in touch with uh, our government guidelines. I uh, hope you haven't been making any trips to a uh, Durham Clive, but other than other than that, how how how's it been for you at the moment? How is how is life in general?
2: Well, I didn't vote for him. <laughs> Let's get that straight to begin with. No, neither did I vote for Brexit. Let's get that straight. So, Barnard Castle jokes kind of fall a bit flat with me. I don't think it's very funny. But there you go. I'm happy and healthy. Feel very fortunate. To be in a situation where uh, I can self isolate with my best friend in the world, my wife, uh, we have four children who are all in the twenties they 're all in work uh, they 're all in London, uh, one of them has had the virus but has uh, recovered well. yeah, I mean I would like to be commentating on football matches. Mm. you would like to be watching football matches. We would like to be talking about the Champions League final this weekend, but we 're not and uh, there are more important things happening in the world and um, mm. You know, we we I think we've all pretty much tuned into that, or most of us have tuned in to that. That when these guidelines are imposed upon us, we obey them in order to keep each other
0: alive. <laughs> no, <in> fact, just <laughs> your wife just went past in the background there, Clive. And uh, I just think that, <laughs> I think you're absolutely spot on. I mean, I was just telling you before that your your initial uh, reply to my email um, Went into the spam box initially. I thought it may have been spam, Maybe it was my bad eyesight. In which case, of course, I should have gone for a short drive to clear that, to clear my, clear my vision up. But we're going to get we'll get away from that now. We'll get away from those jokes. Actually, just before we do move on, I have to say you've been involved in sport for many years. You've seen many interviews, and you've probably seen some really excruciating interviews in your time, firsthand, and and you know where this is going. And uh, at a distance, did any of interviews that you've seen firsthand or, or or at a distance rank with what you saw yesterday? Duncan
2: Cummings, or, okay. I, um, I, I, I wrote a column um, in the build-up to the last election, which caused a bit of a stir. Um, I got a bit of a bean in my bonnet about the quality of television political journalism.
1: Mm.
2: I think it's been really poor for the last three years, and I actually argued that I, I think that the level of scrutiny and investigation would have been more revealing in, in a football environment. I think the football media would have covered this story better. Mm. Uh, and I think that one or two things that have been allowed to happen would not have been allowed to, to happen. And that, I, I finished up on a, some uh, Radio 4 programme with uh, Kay Burley defending her, and actually, who I actually think is quite, who is good, experienced, and is, and is front foot. But um, I, I'm not a fan of Beth Rigby, Robert Peston, Laura Koonsberg, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. I think that they're stuck in the Westminster bubble.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's, I think the football, I think that covering football is easier in so much that I think your audience understands the basics of of the subject better mm-hmm. than we do, you know, for instance, the pros and cons of, mm-hmm. of leaving the EU. But then that's the journalist's job to to actually explain this rather than turn it into some kind of reality show between mm-hmm. personalities, which I think is what, Politics has become to too many people in the last three years. And what's happened? The country switched off. Mm. Country became bored of Brexit. The most important decision that the country will take in a generation. People became bored of it. They just actually just wanted it over. They just wanted now. Well, that's it. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you, you do know we're going to be worse off economically. Well, I don't care. I just want it over. With it. It, it, it's. You know, it's it, it, the the thing about turkey is voting for Christmas. It was the turkey that could see Christmas coming and thought, well, "What the heck? There's no point in me protesting anymore." You, you know, let's get it over with. Put me in the oven. And um, I, I think that the, the media, the news media, allowed that to happen. And I don't think it would have happened with the sports media. I think there's more scrutiny in in uh, in the sports media. And uh, and so uh, even the the Cummings interview, were actually I think under bitter pressure the main television political correspondence became more strident i still think they they missed that kind of forensic cross examination which he is now getting from Keir Starmer, he's now getting from mm-hmm. a barrister mm-hmm. you, you know the actual detail of can your wife drive what well, could your wife not nobody asked in how long over an hour you know or mm-hmm. well, couldn't your wife have driven mm-hmm. we never established those basic facts on the Sunday night when the Prime Minister spoke, nobody specifically asked him, yes or no, mm. did Cummings go to Barnard Castle? That would have happened in a football press conference. Mm. Here ends the lesson.
0: No, no, I, honestly, Clive, I think that's really refreshing because so many times, even, even with people in, in, uh, in, in your particular business, I think there'd be a, there'd be a certain trepidation. We're Talking like you just done at length because you risk a lot of people going, Oh, stick to football, stick to football, which I think is nonsense, by the way. Absolutely, I get a
2: vote exactly. I, I, but I accept, I listen, I accept the election. The Conservative Party got in by 30 odd seats. No, mm, I mean, that's fantastic. You know, and actually, do you know of all the alternatives to face this crisis? This may have been the best one for the country, weirdly, and I've been mm. a member of the Labour Party until the last five years for a long, long time. Mm. I didn't even vote Labour at the last election. No. So I didn't vote Conservative either, by the way. <laughs> no. But, I mean, I, I I think Brexit was too close to call, and I think that the that there was a very strong argument for a second referendum mm-hmm. once the deal had been struck. I think that's just logic, you know, it's mm. just reason. Um, so, but, I, yeah, I'm entitled to an opinion. I'm not, I don't. I, 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 don't, I don't believe the man who was interviewed yesterday. I don't believe every detail of what he gave, I'm afraid, mm. um, because it just seems a crazy story. But that doesn't mean that I think he's terrible at what he does. And I, I can't dislike him because I don't know him. Mm. Um, so, and, and again, you know, we come into contact in the course of our work with some pretty famous managers who mm. are pretty difficult to interview. Mm. I've been very privileged to see some of those people in a totally different environment. I'll tell you a nice little story, which um, uh, I, was at, um, ch- I, I, I host a charity golf event for the Robson family. Initially, uh, Bobby Robson has a charity in Portugal. In addition to the cancer charity in the, in the Northeast, he, has, uh, he, he, he supported um, a children's refuge uh, near Faro from 2004 onwards I was actually I actually traveled to the first event with him down from Lisbon at the European Championships when he was working for ITV so I know the the three boys and Lady Elsie and everything I became heavily involved with the charity and um I think that I was at a a a reception of some kind and I'd interviewed Mick McCarthy a couple of times and he was there and so he said do you know Mick and I said yeah and held out a hand and he said no you don't (laughs) and <laughs> typical Mick being Mick, who's was now a very close mm-hmm. mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, "No, you don't know me at all." I said, "Well, we, did you know, I've interviewed after a couple of days." He said, "Well, that's not Mick McCarthy." He said, "That's the guy who just come out of the dressing room. We just got beat three nil, and you're going to ask me a load of difficult questions. <laughs> you're not talking to Mick McCarthy. You're talking to the manager of Wolves or the manager who wherever I was. And I am a totally different creature. I am, the, you know, mm-hmm. if you ask me the same questions now over a glass of wine, now we're friends." I'd give you different answers to what I gave you then. Mm. So you have to recognize that obviously Dominic Cummings was in a difficult position yesterday. Mm. You know, I do, I do appreciate that. And I don't, the the, the business of, you know, knocking on his parents' door and all that is dreadful, awful. It It shouldn't be happening. But these guys in interview situations, when they're professionals, when they're managers, when they're in spotlight, when they're in the scrutiny, they have to, put on a shield they have to put on a different face and um you know that obviously is part of the interviewer's job to try to break through that armor and try to get to the to the, the root of it but if you do and, and i'm you know who knows if, if if i met dominic cummings or even i can't believe it but even if i met boris johnson <laughs> in a social situation i might like him i might like him mm. i'm not going to judge him from a distance but i ain't going to vote for him either <laughs> no, again, I, I, I brilli- brilliantly summarised. Well, mean you can if you want, that's cool.
0: No, uh, yeah, 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 I, I didn't, by the way, but that's, uh, that's yeah. a that, good, good, imp- good thing to, to note at the end. Other political leaders are available. But, <laughs> we, well, we talk about, actually, you, 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 just, you talked about before uh, the politics, you were desperate for, for a return to commentaries and a return to football in general, but also aware of, you know, the, 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 the surrounding issues that we, that we currently face. One major European league that has returned is the Bundesliga. I think it's, in its, it's going to be entering its third series of of, of uh, fixtures. We've had two sets of uh, game weeks already. It's generally passed with flying colours. I watched a few. Uh, did you watch any of the Bundesliga
2: over the past two weeks? Yeah, I mean, out of interest, probably, curiosity as much as anything, because um, mm. there's every possibility that I'll be commentating on games in similar circumstances within the next month or so. Mm. So um, yeah, you know, I wanted to get a feel for it, and you know, when when Bayern play Dortmund, then it's mm. just the kind of game I might watch anyway. I, it, it's it's a passing interest to me at the mm. moment, curiosity as as much as anything. I think there have been times in my career where, for instance, when ITV had championship rights, mm. and for probably four or five years, I knew a lot about championship football. Mm. At the moment, I don't commentate on any championship football, so I don't follow the championship as closely as I used to do. When England is your main contract, which ITV mm. ha- have, then I probably would be more likely to, to, to catch up with some international games of future opponents and so on. It's, I mean, it is a job. I love football. Mm. I'm I'm now covering more Premier League in the last couple of years than I've done before, which so, is I know. Um, you know, I'm I'm taking a daily, weekly interest in in the outcome of the Premier League, but Champions League's been bigger in in my life in in the last ten, fifteen years. So I've probably watched even more Champions League football, just what I do.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I I, I agree with you. I think it, the Bundesliga's got the most the, the biggest audience that it's had really. In, ever, really, globally, because of the curiosity factor, because it's the first major league to return. Credit to Germany and credit to how they've orchestrated this, by the way, when you read into it, this has been over a month of careful planning with lots of different parties, the government themselves, the scientists, the clubs, the various people involved, they've all been talking to each other, talking to the players who were initially uh, reluctant, Some, some players were initially reluctant to go back. They all got convinced by the plans, which were thoroughly which were thoroughly brought out that, that yeah but this, sorry the this,
2: pandemic was nothing like a serious there because it was it was managed better. i'm sorry to go of, back of to course politics. of course you of know course. i mean they, they, they didn't have the, the quite the crisis that we've had it's good so. communication though isn't it clive if you're if you
0: communicate yeah, well yeah. and you across the board and you say look this is what we're going to do we're going to impose these measures we're not going to have ambiguity and then it, as you say they impose strict measures from the off and then as soon and then and now if you look at, if you look at Germany now they, i think most shops are open with social distancing rules applied and yeah. obviously football's returning as you say they were strict from the off they were clear with the communication yeah,
1: I'm not everything. being
2: wise after the event I'm, no. I'm not being wise after the event i think it's been a a very uh, well it, i don't think it has been a very very difficult sure. situation to manage at all levels and obviously mm. the higher the level the go the greater the responsibility and to be in government at this at this moment is is difficult. There's mm. no question about that. I haven't got a lot of kind of professional respect for Matt Hancock, but I do <laughs> I do <laughs> kind of feel for him every time he's pushed out there. What a time to be health secretary! I mean, Jeremy Hunts would be like the greatest <laughs> health secretary <laughs> of the world's ever had right yeah. now. Um, but but so I I mean you know if 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 the headline from this becomes you know Red Clive lambast the government that nothing you know that is not. Uh, no, that's not what I'm no. trying to do. I think it's been really, really difficult. And mm-hmm. as I intimated, I, I, much as I've been a Labour supporter all my life, I'm not sure that the the last opposition uh, w- would have handled this situation mm-hmm. any better. I think now that I really feel that, that uh, Keir Starmer's made a very impressive start. I think there are some shining lights in his shadow cabinet, mainly women. Who've been really, really impressive so far, and um, you know that the, I, I think their approach has been respectful and uh, and sympathetic of the situation, but they're, they're asking questions that are important. And Ali McGovern, who is the shadow sports secretary, who uh, I, I spent part of my life in Wirral um, near near Liverpool, and um, you know she she's from that neck of the woods. You know she'll have her say at some stage in in all of this because. What we don't want—two uh, things really. One, we don't want footballers being foisted, uh, you know, back to work simply to try to raise the mm-hmm. national morale. I mean, what? No, no, mm-hmm. you, no. I mean, they were they were sort of lambasting footballers and their wages three or four weeks ago. Don't turn to these guys now, and you know, to come and distract us from everything else. that's mm-hmm. that is not mm-hmm. their jobs. They, mm-hmm. they get paid a lot of money, but they're wonderful entertainers, mainly from working class backgrounds. The good guys, most of the ones I've met. So let's not ask them to do that. And, um, you know, I think, secondly, much as I appreciate that that television holds the whip hand in terms of the financing, particularly of something like the Premier League at, at the moment, and even though I think it's only right that television has a big say in exactly what happens, i.e. there is some jeopardy in the games, that we still have relegation issues and so on, the games mean something. At the same time, You know, television shouldn't be in a situation where football is coming back simply because it needs the money that television owes them. So it it, it is a difficult situation. And I hope that without getting too heavily involved, I I hope that the government agencies make sure that this is managed properly in the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, Clive, I, and, and you, you, you're spot on with everything that you've said. The, the other reason they're rushing, as we say, to have, to have football back so soon is, 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 as you alluded to, financial reasons. We talk about the TV companies not having rights fulfilled. We talk about clubs who might lose out on lots of money, which therefore in turn makes it difficult uh, maybe when players' wages come into account later on in, and then they're supposed to play the taxes and then that's supposed to help the economy. It's all, it's all sort of affected by, by financial reasons. As a fan, as a football fan, if you ask me, would you like the season to return in the form of no fans for a longer period of time, or would you rather wait until the fans could return? I'd say the fans to return every single time. I watched mm-hmm. the Bundesliga, and albeit I did, I, I thought there was some lovely, there was some lovely football in action. I watched Prussia Dortmund last week, watched Bayer Leverkusen this week. Kai Havertz, what a player, by the way, brilliant talent uh, for Germany, but. There was, it, it, there's still an emptiness. And th- there always will be. It's, a, it's getting used to a new, new normal, as we say, which, which has been banded around a lot. And I've got absolute massive respect for Germany and how they brought it back and what they're doing with it now because it's remarkable, as we say. We talk about you know, how well they've done politically and now they're doing well on the sporting field, so well done to them there. But if finances weren't dictating this decision and you said to every single fan, do you want, the f- you want football to return to our screens but with no supporters so you can't attend, I genuinely think they'd rather wait for the for the stadiums
2: to be filled again. I'm not so sure. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, Jürgen Klopp has said um, the most important of the, of the unimportant things. And and, and I, mm. I think the, the football has kind of found that place. I think there is that respect around. There are some footballers who are prepared to speak their mind and, and talk about um, their concerns and worries. And, you know, fortunately, I think we're, we're, the, the game is more aware of insecurities among players than it was even 10 years ago so we you know when somebody like Danny Rose yeah. speaks then we should listen and, and, and I think we are listening so I think that's important but I do think that there is a, I feel a need to try to complete the season mm. and and I understand the logistical issue well I say I understand I understand that there are logistical issues with contracts transfer windows and future uh, scheduling and so on. But my personal feeling, my personal feeling is that everything should be done to try to complete the fixtures that remain in this season. We're three quarters of the way through it. And I think everything that should be done to complete those fixtures in some form. Mm. And then if any changes need to be made, make them to next season. Yeah, but mm. but this season, once this season has been started, then, you know, I, I think f- from a credibility point of view, I mean, I, this has nothing to do with Liverpool or Barrow or Leeds United or anybody's specific care. We're, this season, we, you know, think of all the games that mm. that have been staged, that people have paid good money to go and watch. Are we mm. seriously going to say, oh, by the way, they're all friendlies now. That they well, can we have our money back? You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't realise. I didn't realise it didn't matter who won or lost. No, I mean, uh, and you know, while I understand that, 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 I mean, democracy is about self-interest, really. What is a democracy? We all vote for what we want, and then most people get what, you know, that, so that's kind of how it works. But if you're in the bottom six, then I'm sorry, got, ho- hopefully we're all going to come out of this a little bit better somehow, you know, a bit more appreciation for the bigger things in life, like nurses. And, you know, surely they can see that, I mean, some of the detail of, you know, what happens if our best three players get coronavirus? Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, that's what happens, you know. And the the world isn't, it, it was never meant to be equal, you know. The, no. Some clubs have got far more money than other clubs in the, same, in the same league. You play against each other. Some have got better squads. It's probably why you're at the bottom in the first place. Mm. So I, d- I do think that every effort, even behind closed doors, should be made even on neutral grounds. I've got mm. nothing against that. Mm. Particularly if that's mm. that makes it safer for the players.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that yeah, that that what we've started. Every other business in the world mm. has got to pick up where it left yep. off. Yeah, uh, and uh, somehow try to. And that's what I think football needs to try to do. Most importantly, well, well most important of all, I'm just keep keep everybody safe. But yep. in terms of the actual detail of the fixtures, I don't really mind if it takes to September to complete this season and next season has to become uh, whatever i mean you, you only play each team once whatever mm-hmm. you know but, but but make the adjustments to the season we haven't started yet uh, that would be my, my that would be my look at it well, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, when I was talking about the fans' perspective,
0: that was purely from the entertainment's perspective and, and seeing something that's our beautiful game kind of change. From, I absolutely agree. I've, I've written articles on it that from a, from a business point of view, it absolutely has to return. It has, and from the integrity point of view, it absolutely has to finish. And it's interesting that you say one or two players have coronavirus. Oh, no. Uh, well, I'm not trying to undermine that. That's bad. Of course it's bad. We don't want anyone to get coronavirus in any particular part of work. But in the Bundesliga, uh there were just before in the build-up to that, there've been players that have been uh, con- that have gained the coronavirus, have been contaminated uh with the coronavirus and they felt that it was they treated it a bit like an injury, I suppose, that they just said, Well, they won't play this week, they go to the side, we will carry on like, like this, you know, a, a train that doesn't stop because we've put all this planning in place. That you know, if, if one or two players do get coronavirus, they will be protected from that. They won't spread it to the rest of the squad. They'll be told to go to the side. In the same way, if the player was injured, then, you know, they wouldn't be playing in that particular game week. So, yeah,
2: I mean, yeah. look at Liverpool, who are clearly the, the best team in the country at, mm-hmm. at the moment. I mean, there was certainly a few games early in the season where they had to play Fabinho at centre-back, didn't they? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got four centre-backs, but they had three injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, <laughs> last season... There was a, a match where they played two midfield players, Henderson and mm. somebody else played a mm. It happens. It happens even at the biggest wealthiest clubs. Now I, I think it's a little different if six or eight players. If mm. I mean, but, but again, you know, we've seen this without trying to reduce the the impact that of this particular virus. I mean, we've you know we've had matches postponed because of a flu, a, a, you know, about a flu than a count before. These are the minor details. I think the minor details, the contracts, the transfer windows, I, I think we should be able to work through those details. But, I mean, we, we, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I, uh, I hesitate to say as much as I've said about something that I'm not as informed about as I would be researched and prepped before a game that I'm doing. I don't know enough really to have a firm view, which is, and I hope I haven't given a firm view. No. It's just my feeling that in terms of people talk about that, the integrity of the competition, I think the integrity of the competition is best served by trying to play these fixtures out in, on, on a football field somehow. Mm.
0: No, I think that's very fair. And I think, I think the, the thing that I always think, when you, uh, which you referred to a little earlier, was the fact that all other businesses across the world uh, particularly in the UK, are trying to find a way to get back to some kind of normality again, just for the sake of their own future and their own survival. So, looking at it from that business point of view, which the Premier League is, it's a huge behemoth, huge financial behemoth of a, of a business. It's got to, we've got to look at it with those eyes now, and then you know, it, it, it's not about it's not about saying economy over lives, but it is about say, trying to find, isn't it, that route back. That route back, and not and not seeing the economy go under as well. Yeah, it, we maybe
2: get a bit dreamy about you know when this is all over. I mean, there were there were one or two kind of wartime analogies early on in in mm. the piece, um, which I, I don't like wartime analogies even in football commentary, mm-hmm. let alone at a time of national crisis. Mm. But uh, I've I've never been. I've strangely I've never lived through a world war. But no, at I've, least there have been days, you know, VE Day when it's over. And mm. then, okay, there are all kinds of problems, economic problems, but it's over. Mm. There isn't going to be a VE day with this. There, no. there really isn't. It, no. uh, I don't know how long it's going to be before. I mean, everybody's looking back now at that Liverpool Athletic game and the Children's mm. Festival pointing big fingers. Nobody really knows. Again, you know, I, I'm not informed enough to have a strong view on that. But it, looking back, it does seem extraordinary. Mm. that those yes. that those events were allowed to take place, you know, given given the circumstances. I I really don't know when we will see that again. I, and I'm not even sure. Uh, listen, if if football resumes next week and TalkSport call me up and say, look, there's a game of wherever, we want you to commentate on it, that's my job. And as long as the, the, you know, the right safeguards are in place, I'll be there. But if they tell me to fly somewhere, I'm not sure how much mm. I want to get on were aeroplane mm. with... Mm. 50 100 other people at the moment. I'm not sure how much I would want to be in a stadium with 20,000 other people. I, and and it might be a long time before I do want to be. And um, you know I think people are, that it is going to be a new normal. It's not mm. it, we're not going to get back to the normal. I don't think we are. No. No. This is really cheery. This is <laughs> making for everybody feel a lot better. It's your fault of course. But <laughs>
0: Well, if you watch it before EastEnders, you'll get a double dose of the kind yeah, of thing now, exactly. won't you? So that's fantastic. <laughs> no, we're gonna lighten it up now, Clive. We're gonna we're gonna lighten up the mood. Um obvi- I'm not I'm not usually this dower, but you know, this is these are the times that we're in. You can't yeah. help it. You cannot help it. And uh, you know, I mean to be honest with you, as much as in, as he is an idiot, I do find yeah. some kind of humour with Donald Trump's attempts to uh, is with the media he's an absolute charlatan and a buffoon however he does make me just you know he's just, he's just become an internet meme
2: hasn't he like I I, yeah. I, can't, I cannot quite you might be watching on a different platform to me <laughs> oh don't get me wrong I think uh, he's an absolute get too, much, too many guffaws during the news in this household no no don't, oh, don't get me wrong Dangerous. <laughs> of course, I
0: wouldn't want him as my leader. But when he comes out with things like,
2: "Oh, they take hydroxychloroquine to ease the pain," yeah, you say well, you don't. You, you're just advertising. There it should be a transfer market, and you know, we should be trying to buy the New Zealand Prime Minister right oh, now. Paul we really transfer? should be in for her big with, time. D- I mean, if Dominic Cummings wants to, <laughs> if he wants to, to come clean with the nation and and do us all a favour, put a bid in for her because she's good. Oh no, she's fantastic, isn't she? I mean, maybe a loan
0: deal because we don't want to, you know, maybe to, through the crisis, we don't want to take New Zealand because she's. Uh,
2: no, well, it's, it's a Darwinian world. No, the, the, uh, you, you, buy, you buy the smaller club's best players and she's their best player. Whatever. will have her. Shall we, shall we uh,
0: give Boris a, a, a low release clause maybe and then sort of offshore? It can speak. be the British ambassador in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm sure it can be. Art exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be. Anyway, I mean, you are a renowned commentator and you have commentated on some <laughs> incredible events. I do actually think, just before we do go on, would you consider a role as the Speaker in the House of Commons? I mean, you've got,
2: you certainly got... I didn't like book. him very much, Berko no. either, so <laughs> oh, order, I Order, like order. No, I, I mean, if Carlsberg if Karl, if made politicians... It would be Jess Phillips, wouldn't it? Probably. Uh, yeah, I, I, I took When I went to Lancaster University, actually, and one of my
0: um, we had we had a oh what? Cat Smith, Kat Smith, who was a, who was the Labour MP, and she was a fantastic speaker, really, really in touch with with you know the the community around her. I think she's the shadow. I think she's the oh no, she's not on, She's not even. She's not on the front bench. I don't think, unfortunately. But she's a phenomenal speaker, and yeah, for me. She was one of my favourite po- uh, politicians, certainly at this moment in time. Jess Phillips, I'm not 100% clued up on, but I'll take your word for it. Clyde. I'm sure um, Sure, she is a wonderful, uh, wonderful in her particular job. Anyway, uh, after, you, we know that, obviously, you're not a big fan of Burko, but you will take over House of Commons. Thank you
2: very much. We're just having a delivery. Thank you. It's a difficult time. Domino's. No, it's some Amazon. I, 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 I should just do the plug really here. We, we've just set up a little um, a website for uh, a prints of the um, comment, commentary charts. It's called uh, commentarycharts.com. And um, we've just taken more orders than we expected in the first two days. Mm. So it's a little bit more packaging to send them all out to you. Thank you for your support. But look it up, commentarycharts.com.
0: Very good, uh, very good. Also, um, yeah, actually, that's on your Twitter as well, Clive. I, I was having a look before. Phenomenal amount of writing that goes into those, um, you know, particular things. I was talking to Ian Dark a few weeks ago, and he said he said every single commentator who does who who does preparations like that has writing so small, but they that they can only read it themselves because apparently Derek Ray does writing so small and so in, in Derek Ray's style that only he could understand what he's written. Yours seemed quite legible, I must say, when I was reading yours.
2: Let's have a look at
1: yours. Yeah,
2: uh, I mean, the writing's quite small. Um, I think part of it is if you take a pride in how it looks, then um, quite apart from the information uh, b- uh, database that it, you're effectively taking to the game with you, you are taking a kind of psychological prop. It's, uh, I mean, hopefully you only ever use 10 to 15% of the information on there anyway. Uh, I mean it's um it's safety net really. It's mm. there for you but well, it's how you use the it's not it's not the compilation of the chart that's mm. that's the skill, if you like. It's it's how you use the information. But also I think it's just if you look down, you know, 15 seconds before Mark Pugach hands to me or Laura yeah. Woods hands to me, wherever, mm. whoever I'm working for, and you think, Well, you've done your work, you've you've spent two days doing that, then I think you, it just gives you a bit of a a, a confidence fear. We all do it a little bit differently. Mm. Um, it is it is strange that most of us probably all, we probably all went to the same school somewhere. Mm. So, uh, somewhere. There are a couple. Uh, Peter Drury's ha- handwriting is totally illegible. Mm. Uh, nobody can read that. Other- I'm not sure he can read it. And oh. the, late, <laughs> um, the late Peter Brackley had uh, the, the oh. most bizarre notes. They were like some kind of s- spike milling il- illustrations. They were... I mean, they were they were slightly comedic, so each to their own. But um, Motti has got very, very neat. You know, three. I really probably copied my style initially from Motti mm. you know, back in the late seventeenth century. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. And by writing it out, and obviously I'm computer literate, and people sort of say, oh, why don't you just put it on a spreadsheet?" Yeah, but I, I am of a generation where. I revised for school exams, university exams by writing stuff out, and I guess mm. that's how it filters into my, you know, thick head really, uh, just by copying it out. So I, you know, I, I guess most of us do that. It doesn't. It's an old method. I hope that I'm not a dated commentator. I think. Oh. I mean, I, th- I think. I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody else there out there at the moment who commentates in meters and yards, and I'm not. I don't. I don't commentate in meters to be, uh, you know, down with the kids. I've got, we've got four kids in their 20s. Mm. They'd soon sort me out if they thought I was trying to impress anybody. But I think half the audience thinks in terms of metres, that's all. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, it's still in the 18-yard box and mm. stuff, but I think a shot comes in from 25 metres now. I think, I think that's kind of how half the audience thinks. So as long as you, as long as you relate to, you, and, and obviously, um, on terrestrial television when the audience is really big mm. for an England game, then you are talking to people between 99 and nine and, and, mm. and, and from all kinds of backgrounds and stuff. So you, you've got to try to serve mm. as, as wide a breadth of audience mm. as you can. And it's a little different on Sky and BT mm. because mm. essentially you've got a million or so hardcore football fans mm. who've actually, who are actually subscribing mm. uh, that his or her money to, to watch football. So you can, kind of commentate to the dressing room a little bit more. You know, my my mentor really in broadcasting, who was sadly not with us anymore, was a boxing commentator, Reg Guttridge, taught me probably ninety-five percent of what I know. You know, he he used to talk about being inclusive and, and commentating to white van man, commentating to you, to the public. Don't don't assume knowledge. You know, the bigger the audience, the more you need to explain, the more you need to introduce things and people. And I think that's that's very, very sound thinking.
0: No, no, yeah, I, I you, you actually took one of my questions straight away. I was actually going to say, <laughs> do you need to? So very, very good. Uh, this t- Very, very, very excellent foreshadowing. But what are we, I mean, obviously, metres, yards, at least don't go with centimetres, Clive. I do think that might be a little step too. But I'm
2: not far. into kilos, really, weirdly. No. I mean, I, I'm total hypocrite because I'm not... But I, then I don't think as many people think mm. in terms of kilos yet. No. It, that it's happening, but I think think people still... Talk about he's you know twelve stone centre forward whatever, mm. but then they they'll probably say that he runs he run twenty meters. I we are kind mm. of in that you know football cliches are interesting and and I try not to be lazy with the language. I don't say turn on a sixpence mm. simply because I I just think that I don't think our our four guys in their twenties would know what a sixpence was. So mm. why would. Why would you, I think it's almost lazy to use mm. phrases which just don't mean anything mm. to mm. most of your audience. So mm. uh, cliches are fine. A, g- a game of two halves, a game of two halves. And there's no other way mm. of saying it. You know, no. No, no, no point trying to dress it up with some poetry mm. from the inside of a greetings card or something. You know, it is what it is. It is you know, Ron Stirling Woodstock does what it says on the tin. You know, that, that's that's <laughs> how you know, that's good writing. It's good. It tells you that. And that's what a commentator should do. But I mm. I, I think you you've always got to think about your audience. Maybe I'm fortunate in that I have these four good friends in my life who are all between sort of, what are they, 24 and 29. So, mm. you know, they, they kind of keep me current. <laughs> no, fan, no, fantastic. I mean, you sort of touched on it there slightly,
0: Clive, actually. with with, with all, We all have particular styles and you sort of ask a commentator what their particular style is. It sounds more of a philosophical question. It's not. It's more of a sort of, you know, Peter Drury, as you say, maybe Peter Drury probably writes the greetings on the on, on the, the seasonal greetings on the cards. I mean, he is a literal poetic genius, and he just he can just do it off the top of the hat. He was talking actually to um, to James, uh, who also works with us last week or the week before. And he said that when he did the famous "Roma have risen through from their ruins," it was all improvised because he couldn't see. I think it was Manolas who got the third goal. He couldn't he couldn't see that Manolas had scored. He was buying for time until he got to Manolas. So it's an incredible that uh, he, he's very poetical. He's very very much thinks that every word is it, very. It's a very and you you can always, you know, is it, very poetic in a sense. Some people like to go with facts, 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 facts and some people. Like to go with elongated sounds at the end of names. So, for example, Martin Tyler Aguero, and it goes on for
2: five minutes. Security did he once, in fact. Yeah, I'm sure he did. But but I mean, definitely- the best bit of that piece of commentary for me, and and we do analyse our commentaries, and this is all a matter of opinion. Yeah, Barry Davis once famously said, "One man's commentator is another man's pain in the arse," and it is. I mean, you know, that's 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 the nature of the beast. I think, as I say, you need to identify your audience. I don't think they should need to be bringing a thesaurus in front of the television. I think you should be talking essentially in a vocabulary that they understand. I think, you know, the rhythm of the commentary should reflect the fact that they've invited you into their homes or onto their commute or wherever you are. And that, you know, you don't want to become an annoyance. You don't want to push it. I, I don't think the great moments in sport don't need melodrama. They don't, they don't need dramatizing. They just need, What they do need, for me, is editorialising. I think you need to be a journalist. I think, as a commentator, you should be able to interpret the significance of that moment for the viewer. And, and, And if you like, almost write tomorrow's headlines. I think that's important to do. But the style, I mean, you talk about Martin's commentary of the Aguero goal against Queen's Park Rangers. For me, it wasn't what he said. It wasn't Aguero that made that a great piece of commentary. It was, I swear, you will never see anything like this again. again. Now, that is a big call to make. Editorially, Mm. if you think Mm. about it, as he's saying it, Mm. he maybe halfway thinks, "Mm, God, have I oversold this little bit? Mm. Do you know he's right? He's Mm. absolutely, okay, Michael Thomas, uh, 1989. But but that's how, and here's a man who would watch four games a day if he had the opportunity. Now, he's an absolute football junkie. So Mm. he's watched lots and lots of football. And his editorial mind at that, uh, you know, his concentration brought that out of the locker at that time. And I think it stands up to oh, this does. day and will stand does. up in, in 20 years' time. Now, for me, that is good commentary. Mm. Is there a long word in there? Is there any poetry? No. But, it's, it, but it is absolutely Instinct. bang on what happened and, and the significance of it. That, for me, is commentary.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I, I mean, you you, you express that brilliantly. To be fair, I, 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 mic drop. I think that was uh, that was excellent. But what uh, I'd ask you though, Clive, you know, we've all got those. You've all got those iconic goal calls. We're talking to Adam Summerton last week, and he says, or a few weeks ago, he said that when he was on, he commented on the Panorama National League uh, playoff final between Tranmere and Wood. and he got the Tranmere uh, his goal call for the uh, second Tranmere goal, the winner. Uh, resonated so much with, with the Tranmere fans that afterwards, and even to this day, they still say, oh, you know, you define that goal for me. You Every time I see that goal, I hear your voice and it sort of, and it, and it, and it sort of goes in tandem with each other. And so it is, it's very flattered by that. I imagine for you, Clive, I mean, there's so many, but the uh, 99 Man United game, uh, have, you, have you ever had anyone, you, well, you must have had people come to you and say, oh, it, Clive's voice with that goal. Can Man United
2: score, they always score. Name on the trophy, Solsha as well. it. do you feel proud when you that? Yeah. Do you <laughs> feel that, pride? that was my dad? That that was my dad. I'm only 13. Yeah oh, you know that. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. The, I wasn't yeah. really. the, the power of <laughs> moisturizer Clive. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I don't quite know what to say about that really. Uh, it is nice to be people's part of people's memory. I mean, listen, ninety-nine percent of the people that watch that game, watch it on television. It's a, it was a television event. Okay, there were probably, I don't know, 50,000 Manchester United fans in Barcelona, but the, we had an audience of 20-something million that night. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's, it, it's lovely to be part of. I mean, I'll say this. Look, the, probably it, when I said and Solskjaer has won it, I've actually broken the Cardinals' rule of commentary at that moment, and that very moment... I've committed the worst sin that a commentator <laughs> probably can do, which is to call the winner across the line before the winning line. And if Bayern go down the other end and equalize and it goes to extra time and they win the shootout, which they would have done,
1: then you know, I'd have
2: probably been found hanging from a lamppost outside the Armdale centre on the Thursday night, you know? So you get lucky, you get mm. lucky. You can get lucky with, you know, whatever Wayne Rooney, remember the name and all that stuff. It's fine. Mm. But, but it, you need the material to work with. I yeah. mean, you can't... It, I mean, that was a pretty rubbish final, to be honest, for, mm. until the last 10 minutes. Mm. Uh, I, the, the first goal of the game, I got wrong. I thought it was deflected. <laughs> I, Peter Schmeichel, I'd never forgiven him to this day because I didn't believe that that free kick could beat Peter Schmeichel <laughs> unless it had been deflected. So I got, you know, the, the, my, the, the biggest game at the end of my first season in succession to the late great Brian Moore, they give me a 20 million audience and with three minutes to go, it's going to finish one nil. It's going to be a damp squib, and I got the goal wrong. Mm. And three minutes later, you're talking about probably the most important three minutes of my broadcast career. So you get lucky sometimes. Oh,
0: God, the gods are on your side, there, Clive, and I'm sure. I'm sure you certainly deserve it. I mean, you know, going going through all of those games. That's a classic. Of course, Istanbul for an entertainment perspective, even more so. Uh, I, I mean. Okay, in, in, in a way, I've done this spontaneously on purpose because it makes, it, it, it again, commentary is a spontaneous thing. It's in the moment, you can pick there and then. So right now, off the top of your head, worst and best game that you've commentated on in your career?
2: I don't do worst and best. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I think football belongs in its moment. I think if that, you know, our job is, you, you know, what, why is football wonderful? You never quite know when it's going to happen. And the 99 final and and the 05 final are fantastic examples of that. There was absolutely Mm. no sign whatsoever of a Liverpool comeback. None whatsoever. Milan picked up at the start of the second half exactly how they finished the first half. You know, uh, Dudek made probably, I mean, he made an an incredible save in extra time, but probably his best technical save was made in the opening minutes of the second half, you know, to stop it being 4-0. So... There is just, it's football bloody hell, the greatest post-match interview ever given. You know, the, the most successful manager of the modern era in British football, mm. don't ask me how that happened, mm. I don't know, football mm. bloody hell. So, <laughs> you, your, you know, your job as a commentator
1: mm.
2: is, I, 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 I sometimes say it's a staring competition. You have got to watch so intently because in the blink of an eye, you can miss something. I had one of the best seats in the house for the 2006 World Cup final. Zinedine Zidane is one of my very favourite players of the modern era. He was sent off. I hadn't got a clue why. No idea. I didn't see it. I I know a lot of people didn't see it. It happened Mm -hmm. 15 metres away from where the ball was at the time. Mm -hmm. But suddenly he's walking off the field. I'm commentating live. And I'm just going replay, please, 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 please. I have no idea what's happened here. So mm. it is, it, you, you, you can get lucky, you can get unlucky. Biggest test really of a commentator is concentration. You've got to mm. watch the game. I, I, I'm told there are certain commentators, co-commentators who tweet. You've got to look, tweet. you've got to look at your device to tweet. Mm. You cannot look away. You can't. No. Football no. Isn't, doesn't allow you to do that. Because it is about moments, and our job is to capture those moments. And if we manage to get lucky to capture them, mm. then mm. our signature will be on those moments forever and a day. And it, you know that's what you're talking about, really. No, again, <laughs> Yeah, no.
0: Fan, uh, again, some you know really fantastic insight. there and really well summarized. I love it. I love it when I I love it when I ask questions like that, and you answer so brilliantly by not answering it. But incredibly good. I
2: don't. I, <laughs> honestly, it's up to other people. It's I agree with you.
0: I agree with you. So everything's subjective in football no as well, isn't it? Like you say, everything's subjective. Everything's in emo- and everything is in the moment. You can have a really, as you say, a really dull game with a fantastic climax, and you can also have a thoroughly entertaining game. And both of them can be uh, equally as good as each other in their own right. And obviously, I- I- I'd say England Iceland, by the way, for a for a, for a negative game that I was watching. That I'm oh
2: like. There's, there's another good example of something. I mean, Roy Hodgson is a really good friend of mine. Mm, the, yeah. the, my wonderful wife, who you caught a glimpse of a moment ago, we've been out to dinner, Roy and Sheila and Susan and I, you know, yeah. and you would love his company. Oh, and much, and much, much as he is absolutely ensconced in football, you can have dinner with Roy and Sheila Hodgson and not mention football all mm. night. Mm. You know, he's well read, he's well traveled, mm. he, he is a fascinating guy. Mm. And he, he was a wonderful assistance to me during that tournament. Uh, Gary Neville was on his staff. He was a good friend mm. and somebody, again, I've got high regard for. Mm. So in terms of briefings and information and background, yeah, and I had two mates there who were staring down the barrel at losing their job. Yeah. And quite apart from what, everything else that's happening in front of 20-odd yeah. million people, how on earth they're going to lose in this game,
1: mm.
2: I actually had my editor, who's another very good friend, say in my ear, because he knew, the personal relationship, around about 90 minutes, you're going to have to call this, you know? And and I just went back on the button, and yet yeah, we are only 2-1 down, you know? I'm not going to go too early. But mm-hmm. the board went out three minutes, and in the second-minute stoppage time, I said, and this will make Roy Hodgson's position as England manager untenable. It wasn't controversial. Roy, yeah. Roy couldn't. Roy had handed in his resignation almost before everybody had shaken their hands, you know? Yeah. He knew, and he knew he had to go. But it is difficult when mm. when you have that personal association, and you know who do I support? I support my mates. You know I'm, yeah. I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of friends in the game. Yeah. I know their families. I know, you know. I've been to the children's weddings and you know fathers' funerals and the, uh, and yeah. I mean there there is an attachment, obviously, when you're having to call you're having to call something against somebody that, that you know. A you know is you know well. B you know is good. Mm. and will have done everything he possibly can to, to make this go the other way. But he's failed, he or she has failed, and they're out, you know, and that's, it's a difficult call to make.
0: No, no, very classic, very classy response there, to be fair. And, um, and I, can, I didn't really think about that, but of course, you know, it must be very difficult in this, those circumstances. But on a slightly separate note, well, as, as we sort of alluded to just before, we actually went on recording for this, you're a huge voice in one of the biggest games video games in the world globally still is not I mean you're not on it now but you were uh not too long ago uh FIFA for better or for worse in many people who played its eyes you know the quintessential football game that released annually every year you you came into it in the late noughties didn't you I think
2: um oh no no much earlier than that really um yeah John no, Watson I, though a time wasn't there yeah yeah I I ran about 2000 uh to about 13, 14, and were probably the last ones I recorded. Might have been on the game for another year mm, or so.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, no, I took it over quite early. Let me think. My son was born in 95. Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah. He might be, maybe, well, oh, well, no, two. He, he was just about playing FIFA when, well, he was uh, okay. playing FIFA when I started to do it. So I probably mm. had more of an appreciation of what the game rep- represented. And, you know, there, there was a spell, even when ITV had all the Champions League and stuff, mm. when I was probably better known as the voice of FIFA than I was <laughs> the voice of ITV football. And that, no. I can give you a couple of stories. I mean, I remember the the parents, uh, uh you know, of, of the, the guys in my son's class, oh, we've been listening to your bloody weekend, your bloody voice resounding around <laughs> our house. And it is a bit weird, because cause, cause mm. kids play FIFA, people play FIFA six, mm. eight hours, in a, oh, they're and they're on the um. We, Susan and I went on a fabulous holiday to the Middle East eh, about six years ago. And um, one one night or two nights we spent kind of on the canvas in a, in a desert in Jordan, quite a well-known desert called Wadi Rum. Mm. And um, you get met at this sort of um, reception area by this kind of Bedouin guy who drives you in his rickety Jeep out to the and leaves you and um, you know to spend for yourself for a couple of nights and uh, he he picked us up and we could hardly hear each other over the sound of the jeep but he brought his two kids and they're in the back and i was chatting away and i was talking quite loudly because yeah. over the voice uh, and one of them said something to him in a language i didn't understand and and he he looked at me and he said they say you sound like the man on FIFA." <laughs> <laughs> and so I turned around and I said, All right, it's a very good afternoon. For now, like, oh! <laughs> now what, what's the reach of FIFA? A Bedouin tribe in southern Jordan mm. uh, recognized my voice. I mean, that is, that is FIFA. Phenomenal. and um, It is. And that, I mean, the good thing is I think I improved. I helped improve. It. I rewrote the script completely. Uh, it's made in Vancouver. Um, the script that I inherited, is, there are quite a few British guys out there, but it had a few goaltenders and goal miners in it, the script, and it also had sort of shots bursting the onion bag and all that kind of trite mm. rubbish, which, mm. bit the poetic stuff, you know, mm. um, which I fine if you hear them once, mm. you know, with a late winner in whatever it was, Rome, mm. but if you're hearing them every 12 minutes when you're playing loads of feet there actually so what you what well, i have tried to say you need a soundtrack which is more authentic it's more credible mm. so one that isn't going to get in the way of what is essentially a visual experience mm. and i said you need to improve your gameplay because my eight year old tells me that pro evos have got, you've got all the licenses but the, the game plays and that and they mm. did and i think you know i think that's where they made huge advances i think they toned down the soundtrack i rewrote the entire script so that it was more natural more normal Uh, and they worked on the gameplay they kept the licenses and 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 you know became absolutely preeminent in that market and um it's still a big part of a lot of people's lives no
0: for sure i mean how hard is it though clive to to get it to get a script that much because you've got to be generic without being too generic you can't just keep it can't just be like Oh, and the two teams, are com- well, there are a few like that. But again, it's got to have a certain level of detail, but you can't do too
2: much detail because you'd be there for five years doing the script. Well, the AI does it for you, but you've got mm. to understand the sequencing of it. And, mm. and commentators have got fairly kind of anal uh, brains. And I did manage to get my head around the fact that I, I always describe it as you start like a restart, like a corner. And the, the corner is the head of the family. And then mm. you have like this family tree, which builds out from it. And you have a short corner and a long corner, and then on the next part of the family, on the short corner side, you have a high one and a low one, yeah whatever, whatever and mm. And what you have to do is write ten alternatives mm. ways of saying, so for the original one that you say corner then, it's a corner, corner and, and so literally you you sit there in a <laughs> in a recording <laughs> studio <laughs> in Wardour Street in West London for it used to be five days, eight hour sessions. I mean, on the days when you did the players, you just came out with no voice. You just came out exhausted, screaming mm. names all day long. I started to mix the recordings up so that we had the players shouting on each day mm. towards the end of the day because the danger was that my voice would sound totally different on Monday than than it did by Friday afternoon. And so when the AI linked together all the different conferences, it almost sounded like three different commentators at different times of the week. So, yeah, you put a good bit of thought into it and try to make it sound as good as you possibly can. And, and actually just sound as authentic as possible. That's mm. all I ever wanted it to do. Did you enjoy it? I, I have to say it was probably, I mean, there's no part of my job, which you can honestly say is hard work. Um, <laughs> really, because it's <laughs> what I always wanted to do,
1: mm. but
2: it's probably the hardest I worked that week. Yeah. It's certainly the worst I felt at the end of the week. I just felt wiped out. I felt as if I'd been in an argument a five day argument. Did you have some throat soothers with you? Because it they were like stormy marriage. It's like the end of some stormy marriage. Oh, don't, don't. No! got a call! Get out of here! <laughs> I'm gone, I'm going. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> oh, an just, analogy? It was <laughs> very, very
0: good. Like the end of a, like the end of a long and turbulent marriage. There like being we go. married to Madonna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, playing it, I feel like that sometimes. The way the, the way the game's gone these days. My word, not quite as into it as some of the young kids. But goodness yeah. me, just a quick, just a quick final two questions, like you. One on you touched on it before, actually, about the Premier League and how you have sort of you've, you've been you've been. Got yourself involved in commentation on that reason. I think it was for NBC, wasn't it? Quite recently, you did a couple of games um, for NBC. I've
2: done NBC, Amazon, and Talksport, of course. Yeah, yeah, uh, of yeah, course, of course. Yeah.
0: Course, course, yeah. Um, so, you, you, NBC for the television, Talksport for the radio. Is there any particular reason why you didn't get involved in? I mean, you were, you have been involved in Premier League, but why you didn't want it to be a mainstay, maybe like Martin Tyler, for example, or someone from Sky, or do, were you happy with your free weekend?
2: Yeah it's just where the contracts yeah. are really um I I joined or I rejoined ITV in mm. 92 which uh, mm. sorry I went to the BBC in 92 mm. came back to ITV in 96 yeah. and um you know we we had Champions League then we took on England in spells and then for a long spell we had bits of the pre- the, the Premiership the, the famous thing. Premiership yeah. Yeah. we've had um Bits that we've had the FA Cup for spells and stuff, so there was always enough stuff. And because I graduated, because Morrow retired in '98, and I became, you know, senior commentator number one, whatever you want to call it. You know, it would have taken something fairly extraordinary to for for me to want to work for somebody else. You know, I mean, how long's Martin been at Sky? I mean, probably the same kind of period. So, '90s, early '90s. Yeah, so they've always had their senior commentator. Mm. Yeah, no, it, I've just been very happy where I am, really. It's only in the last few years that ITV's rights have been cut down, essentially. Yeah. We lost Champions sure. League. Yeah. Uh, I didn't... First Champions League final that I hadn't, hadn't been to since, 19, since... From 98 through to Liverpool's defeat to Real Madrid in yeah. 18, I went to every Champions League final. Yeah. yeah,
1: 19
2: was the first one I didn't attend. I, I commentate that off-tube for a an overseas broadcaster from London, for enough. Yeah. Was it like they cancelled Christmas? I mean, it it was a blow, and I think it's a big debate about Mm. how marginalised football has become. You know, there's never been a Premier League game Mm. like free-to-air. Never, ever. It's an extraordinary thought, It's crazy, yeah. 1992, and if you wanted to watch a live Premier League game, you've had to pay for it since then. Mm. And um, you've only got to look at... I mean... I've got so much respect for so many people who work for Sky and for BT, and and I think actually it, it's it's important to have sports channels so that you you know you have that choice. Mm. But you've only got to look at the viewing figures for an England game on ITV, or for a fairly ordinary FA Cup tie yeah. live on the BBC. Yeah, you know, with maybe even if, if there's a big team involved, they've got a half a team out. Mm. They're, they they routinely get in eight and ten million people. Well an absolute super-duper Sunday afternoon is only going mm-hmm. to do two million on Sky. Yeah. That, that is, it, it, I mean, it's a bit of a conundrum. And and, and I think th- this pandemic actually, I mean, we're surrounded in a football community where every day on our Twitter feed and, you know, maybe with the mates that we talk to, oh, I can't wait for it to be back. That mm-hmm. might not be the case mm-hmm. outside of our circle. Mm-hmm. There is just a chance that once she's, start to learn to do without something. Mm. You learn to do without it. I think football's taken this public for granted for a long, long time. Mm. And it's probably just about the, the you know, the clientele which is most loyal to the brand of just about any industry in the in the country, in the world. Be interesting to see. It and it'll will be date. interesting to see. Given particularly given we might be away off another season ticket being sold. Yeah. You know, there may not even be season tickets sold for next season. You know mm. who knows what situation we're going, going to be in. People won't, you know. People haven't. I, I mean, we we've missed it. You and I have missed it because we work really? in it. How much? How much has the country really missed football? I am. I, I, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> I hope the answer is very much indeed. I really do. <laughs> no, I... but I, I just wonder. I'd be interested to see what the take up is on things like Sky subscriptions. Mm. If we find you know, in September that next season is going to be curtailed or it's going to be played behind closed doors, some of it, or whatever. It's, um, it, it, there are a lot of businesses in crisis, far bigger mm, crisis mm. than football. Yeah. But yeah. football might have to face up to a new reality.
0: Oh, no, I, I mean, there's a lot of interesting thoughts you've posed there. And the only way we'll get those answered is through, see what happens in the future, I guess. And and, and, yeah. and as you say, I hope that that does happen. Just as I say, I did say too, last question. I, his name hasn't been mentioned. And I know that lots of people, you know, associated with yourself on the commentary log. You've obviously had co-commentators like David Pleat and, uh, and Glenn Hoddle uh, and, and so on and so on. But the one name that sticks out to me, and Jim Bagley, of course, love Jim, uh, is Andy Townsend. I mean, Clive and Andy on the on the ITV all those years. I mean, for, for, for me growing up, it was always Clive and Andy, Peter and Jim. Peter and Jim still do quite a lot together for the world. People. But obviously, you know, Clive and Andy... All the way through many of the Champions League games, is he someone you consider a really good friend outside? Because obviously on the box, we all imagine you know you great great duo get on so well. seem like great chemistry between the two of you. I was talking to Ian Dark. It's Ian Dark and Steve McManaman, Martin Tyler, and now it's Martin Tyler, Gary Neville. It used to be Martin Tyler and Andy Gray, but for you, it was it seemed to be um, yourself and Andy Townsend. Can we have a few words on Andy? What what what, what do you think? what do
2: you make of him? Good friend, good colleague. And the top three storytellers in football, great, great company. Yeah, great friend, great friend. Yeah, I mean, um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, if I say I'd miss him, I mean, Glenn Holl is such a wonderful human being. I probably do. I, you know, I nearly lost him, Like, well, the year before last no, now. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm in touch with them all. I, I mean, Jim, Jim Beglin. Mm. I, I mean, again, know the families of all of these people. David, Pleat, I've had quite a few conversations yep. with during this because yep. his his wife's not great and uh, not not very well, and uh, it, you know he he always wants to talk. Yeah, but you know, b- big role and stuff. So, but Andy, yeah, I, of all of them, probably closest in terms of mm-hmm. mate. Mm-hmm. And as I say, when wow. this is the greatest job in the world, but mm-hmm. during the tournament, when you're on the road, there are a lot of early alarms. There are a lot of late flights. There are a lot of traffic jams. And you are tied at the waist together day Mm. after day, hotel Mm. after hotel, week after week. And you need to get on.
1: Mm.
2: You do need to get on. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we were a real married couple. And, um, yeah, I absolutely love him. He's a great guy. He's everything you would hope he would be. I mean, do you know, sometimes people ask me about, What's he like? What's he really like? Mm. Gareth Southgate. I mean, Gareth Southgate, everything you think he is, that's what he is. That is exactly the person that he is. Uh, And Andy T is exactly the same. He is the same, but wonderful raconteur. Great storyteller.
0: No, I I imagine absolutely. Uh, And, you know, honestly, you know, funnily, I've I've talked to my friends and he's, he's come up with some iconic phrases, one of which, not for me, Clive, I still use. Uh, whenever I don't was oh, not for me, Clive. And I use that without even thinking about it. And that is such an iconic phrase. that used to say quite a lot in and around six yard box. I use less so, because that's more of a of a football uh, term, but not for me. Clive. I'm, yeah. I'm writing my book.
2: I'm writing my book at the moment, nearly finished it. What's it called? Not for me, Clive. Not for me, Clive.
0: Oh, there you go. Andy Townsend. Andy Townsend the true poet that w- that we were talking about all, all that time ago. <laughs> Fantastic. Saying. I really enjoyed this. It's been a privilege for me. <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant chat, not just on football, but, but also politics and the wider world. So, yeah, I mean, wow. Uh, absolute privilege, Clive. Wonderful to hear that all of your stories. And uh, uh, and, I, and I wish you all the best, not just for the future, but in the next hour when you've got talks. Talk. So <laughs> I will wish you all the best, regardless. But take care. Is there anything you'd from like? Bench- to,
2: from Bentley to Hawksby and Jacobs. <laughs>
0: Uh, is there anything you'd like to say
2: just to just to anyone who's listening you know just as a general generalization anything uh, the, you've views you, you, the views you've just heard are personal uh <laughs> i i I, I, I'm, I hope i hope you aware that a i know that i'm so lucky to do the job that i do and to meet the people that i have met through it some of whom have had an extraordinary influence on the way i mean when you among the very, very best in a sport, which is such a meritocracy. You've just got to, there's only, only one qualification to play football. You've got to be good enough. You can't, mm. you know, millionaires, billionaires can buy football clubs. They can't buy their way into football teams. You've just mm. simply got to be good enough.
1: Mm.
2: And that, so when you think how many people want to be footballers, you know, even the guys who are playing Championship League One are in that absolute elite Ability-wise, footballers who've made who make a living out of it, and so in, when you get to the very top, and you're fortunate enough to meet some of the people that I've spent time with, they are extreme people. They've got to be, and they've got to be different from anybody else you've ever met. You know, from the first ones that I spent time with, Bill Shankly and Brian Clough, and so on, with Fergie, and and you know now with with you know being around um, the likes of. Mourinho and Klopp and Guardiola—they are. You can't really judge them by the standards of other people. Their behaviour, anything, because they are—they're ext- ext- extremely successful and they're extremely uh, focused, extremely competitive. They are absolute extreme human beings, and it's just amazing to get close to them and even get to know some of them and try to work out what has made it. With the, a lot of people have been watching the last dance in the last few weeks, you mm. know, and. It is is just—it is extraordinary when you see so much of somebody who's reached the top of the tree that so many people are trying to climb. And, and I, I, I have a daily fascination with the, with the people I meet and talk to who've reached the top in, in football. And I'm just, you know, yeah, of course I'm lucky to make a living out of doing something I want to do, but probably even luckier to have actually just spent you know, precious time with these extraordinary people. And, and I hope that as a communicator that, that I'm able, that my, what's my job? To meet these people and tell the rest of you what they're like. That is mm. kind of what we do as journalists, mm. to have that privileged position and then be able to relate it to, to people who want to meet them. Mm. And that's all I'm trying to do. That's, I'm not trying to come up with great lines or poetry or anything of that nature. I'm just trying to communicate.
0: Mic drop. I don't have a mic. That's just a pen. But that, well, fantastic. And I mean, yeah.
2: From from myself, from Clive.
0: Bye-bye. And see you next time.